Hallelujah. I tell you what, God knows what he's doing, right? All right, before I get started, uh, join me in a brief word of prayer. Uh, dear, dear Heavenly Father, uh, as I always say, it is such an honor, Father, to be used of you. Um, it is such an honor, Father God, to share your word, and I just pray uh, that your word goes forth through this imperfect vessel, Father God, and blesses the heart of the hearers, uh, that it might bear fruit in their lives, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, and I must say again, I've, I've not been present as the worship team chose the songs that they uh, sang this morning, uh, but it is pretty amazing that the title of my message today is Nothing is Impossible with God. Given the fact that we have, uh, <laughs> given the fact what we've heard in worship and through the words of exhortation that have gone forward today. Uh, how many of you know, really know that nothing is impossible with God? I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of John chapter 6 and that's where we'll start and spend most of our time this morning. First 14 verses, I'll read through them and then we'll, we'll go back through them in a little more detail. Starting at verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world, the prophet, also the Messiah. You know, this miracle is recorded in all four of the Gospels. There are slightly different details in each Gospel account, but it's the same event told by four different apostles as the Spirit of God inspired them to tell it. 
I want to stop right here and say, do, do not believe the lie about contradictions. A lot of times things that seem to be contradictory are not contradictory. One gospel account may have details that the other ones don't have, but that doesn't mean they're contradictory to one another. Don't you know that good investigators grow suspicious when multiple witnesses who know each other give the exact same story? They expect some variation in each witness account because people perceive and experience things differently. If the stories are too similar and the witnesses had opportunity to discuss the issue with each other before being questioned, then it might be rehearsed and not authentic. So some variation is not a bad thing. All four gospel accounts agree on the most important things. Let's see what we have agreement. And you're just going to have, trust me, uh, uh, I'm, I'm right about this, but I encourage you all to read this story in all the gospel accounts. All four gospel accounts agree that before the miracle of feeding the 5,000 plus occurred, there was a dialogue between Jesus and his disciples about what to do with the crowd. They all agree that Jesus wanted to feed that huge crowd right there in that spot. They all agreed that Jesus had everyone sit down. They agreed that Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, blessed them, broke them in pieces, and distributed them. And they all agreed that Jesus miraculously fed a crowd of thousands with just five loaves of bread and two fish. They also agree that everyone ate till they were satisfied. And the final point of agreement that I want to draw out is they all agree that there were so many fragments left over that there were enough to fill 12 baskets. So there are a couple of unique details in John's gospel account that aren't included in the other gospels. There's also some details in the other three that aren't in John's gospel account. But instead of thinking of these detailed differences as contradictions, we should see them as an opportunity to gain a further understanding of the biblical truths contained in this story. There has to be a reason God had all four, all four gospels include this story. So let's go through this a little bit. And let's start back up. So we know it's the Passover. Feast of the Jews was at hand. So you got greater numbers of people, uh, bigger crowds going, going about, coming and going, uh, which is why the crowd probably was swelled up as big as it was. Uh, another gospel account says, while this one just says 5,000, 5,000 men, but it says there's 5,000 men plus women and children. So we don't have an exact number, but we do know that 5,000 was the bottom number. There were more than 5,000. However many women and, and children there were, you know, it could, it, you could just double that number easily. All right. So we, we at least got 5,000, but 5,000 men plus women 
and children. And so, I like this gospel account in John, though, because verse five, let's start in verse five. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus asked Philip a question. Now, he didn't ask him this question for an answer. He asked him the question to test him. That's what the verse says. He asked him a question, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? I tell you, I talked about it last week when we talked about getting out of the boat and walking on water. When Jesus says, come, are we willing to get out of our safety? Are we getting ready to get out of the familiar? Uh, going across the water on a boat makes sense to me. Walking on it doesn't. And yet, if God says, come, will we come? Are we willing to get out of what's safe and what's familiar to go out on the water with Jesus? Right? We have a, a, a different circumstance, but a similar challenge before us today. There is over 5,000 people that need to be fed. And Jesus is saying, indicating his intention to feed this group, he asked, Philip, a question. Now, this question is only in John. The other Gospels don't have this. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Let's look at Philip's response. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. I don't believe Philip pulled that number just out of his hat. I believe that's the money that they had in the money bag. And so Jesus asked him a question. What do you have? What are our resources? We need to feed this 5,000 plus people. All right. And so where do we buy the bread? And Philip's like, whoa, hold on, Lord. What we got is not enough. To get the job done. 200 denarii worth of bread would not even be enough to give everybody a little bit. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Now, these are two guys that walk with Jesus. These are two guys that have seen Jesus do the supernatural. Come on now. We all walk with Jesus here. But not all of us. You know, 12 disciples last week obeyed God, obeyed the Lord, and got on the boat to go to the other side. Only one of them got out of the boat. And we all walk with Jesus here, right? But we all ain't willing to get out of the boat. We all walk with Jesus. But when we face situations that seem impossible, what do we do in that moment? 
Do we ask the question with faith, I wonder what God is getting ready to do? Expecting God to do the impossible, expecting God to do to, to work supernaturally in that situation, or are we asking the question, oh Lord, what am I going to do? What can I do with this? Here is the measure of my need. Here is the measure of my provision. I don't have enough to meet this need. I don't see how it can happen. As far as my perspective is concerned, it is an impossibility. That's what Andrew and Philip's response really said. And I, and I want to, I want to point that out because oftentimes that's where you and I are when we're facing those difficult circumstances. And that's, and, and that's where God wants to get us out of. He wants us to get out of limiting our expectations to our circumstances and, and, and trusting in God's ability to supernaturally intervene. That God is not limited by the natural circumstances. That all things are possible with him, or as the message title is, nothing is impossible with God. Now, we're facing an impossible situation in this story. Uh, we learned in the parable of the vineyard workers that a denarius is a one day's wages. So they've got 200 days worth of wages, whatever that means, but that's not going to cut it for five, seven 10,000 people. How many of y'all ever had a situation where you didn't see how ends were going to meet? That either God was going to make a way or there was going to be no way. What do we do? What do we do? Verse 6. It's a very interesting verse to me because it starts off saying Jesus asked Philip that question to test him. But it also tells us that Jesus himself already knew what he would do. Jesus was aware of the problem. I know in my life it didn't feel like it. I just knew God wasn't aware. And, 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 and I'm having to go to God and storm heaven and just, just make him aware of my situation because I felt like he wasn't hearing. It felt like he wasn't aware. And so I'd like to say I was praying in faith, but I wasn't in faith. I was desperate. And in a way I was in judgment against God because you know what? If, if, if God loved me, he would have already done something by now. If he really cared, he would know what I'm going through and he would have shown some sign that would have given me some hope of expectation. In that situation, I would forget everything about what God had already said. I, I had been punched in the nose spiritually too many times. I was punched drunk. I was not walking in faith. I couldn't remember what God said because my emotions were all twisted. 
And that's what, I, I mean, this is real talk. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not the only one that that describes. But I just want to point out in verse 6 that Jesus is present in that impossible situation. He's aware of the impossible, impossible situation. And third, he already knows what he's going to do in that impossible situation. So he already has a plan. Philip didn't know the plan. Andrew didn't know the plan. None of the disciples there knew the plan, but Jesus had a plan. And how many of you know that it, 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 God's not going to tell us the plan every time? As a matter of fact, a lot of times, he's not going to tell us the plan. He's going to give us a word. He's going to give us an instruction. And like we said last week, it might be a basic instruction. I want you to do this. Well, why do you want me to do that, Lord? Don't worry about that. I want you to do this. I want you to go there. I want you to stay put right here. I want you to get in the boat and start rowing to the other side. Why? What's on the other side? You don't need to know that. I just want you to obey me in this instruction right here. You will get more detail as necessary. Just trust me for the outcome. Human nature is we want to know the details. I want to know what to expect. I want to know the end from the beginning. Lord, I'm willing to go. Just tell me what I'm going into. And if we don't get that, then you know what? I'm not really feeling led of the Lord to... And, and, and like I said last week, we got to get to the point to where, you know what, Lord, forget the details. I don't need details. What I need is confirmation that I'm hearing from you. And, and we need to get to a point to where when, when we know we're hearing from the Lord, that is enough for us. We, we, we will stand on that with assurance and conviction, and we will obey God in that thing whether we get the details that we want or not. And we'll walk in faith. We'll walk in faithful obedience. And we'll let God have his perfect will through us and in that situation. Are you hearing me today? And so, he knew what he would do. So 200 denarii is not enough. Verse 8, Simon Peter's brother Andrew spoke up. Well, I'm not exactly sure why he said this, but if 200 denarii is not enough, then surely five barley loaves and two fish is not enough. But he said it. If 200 denarii is not enough, then five loaves and two fish is even more not enough. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Again, they're doing, I, I can't even beat up on them because I've been the same dude too many times for me to be critical of them in this. Again, he's talking to Jesus. They just got through healing a bunch of folks. He just got through healing the sick. He's opened the blind eyes. He's opened the deaf ears, right? 
He's done the supernatural. They've walked with him and observed the power of God on display in Jesus. And yet in this situation, it doesn't even occur to them that the same can happen right here, right now. I think it's important that we look at this story and glean from it those those kinds of truths, those things that trip us up, all right? Because this is a reflection of us. These are examples that we can learn from that how easy is it for us to forget the great things that God has already done for us, all the times that he has shown himself faithful to us, all the times he has never let us down, how easy for us in our new situation when things start to look possible, look impossible for us to forget all that he's done and, 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 and feel like there is no, nothing he can do here. We forget the supernatural ability of our Lord and Savior to intervene and totally change the situation for our good. Are you hearing me? And it's interesting, Jesus takes the worst of the two options. The five barley loaves and the two fish. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, uh, in, the, in the Matthew's account, it actually goes into more detail on that. Um, but John's account makes it seem like Jesus broke the bread and he distributed it to everybody. But you know in Matthew, in a couple of the accounts, but in the book of Matthew, it shows that Jesus broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the people who were broke up in groups, the disciples then distributed out to the people. Also in that account, Jesus said didn't just uh, have them bring the fish and the loaves and sit down. When they said that, um, uh, told Jesus to dismiss the crowd so they can go find some food and some lodging, Jesus said, you feed them. No, no, they don't need to go anywhere. You feed them. And yet, and I think that's important why we need to read all the gospel accounts. He said, you feed them. He had them present the loaves and the fish to him. He blessed it. He began to break it. But I think that's the important part of it. He began to distribute it to the disciples and had the disciples distribute it to the people. So the disciples were a part of that miracle working process. They were, they, they were a part of what the Lord did, was doing. They weren't just observers on the side. They were participants in the miracle of God. Right? And so they could have been in their feelings. They could have been in doubt, fear, and unbelief and still said, you know what? I don't know. I don't care how many times you break it up. It's not going to feed all these people. But they obeyed him in it. He didn't tell them how the miracle was going to work. He just gave them a word. 
He took the food. He blessed it. He began to break it and give it to them so that they could give it out. And somehow, some way, I'm sure they couldn't explain it. Somehow, some way, it never ran out. He kept breaking and giving it to the disciples. They kept taking it and giving it to people. And it kept going and kept going. The supply never ran out. Now, if you look at what they were doing, I would imagine what they were doing didn't look very impressive. All you're doing is grabbing some food, walking it over to the group, and handing it out. How many times does what God has us do feels mundane? It it feels insignificant. Feels like it's not really carrying much weight. It's not really accomplishing much. But you know, uh, little is much in the hand of God, right? Right? God, God, God doesn't need us to walk on water. He just needs us to trust him and to walk in obedience to him. And so, so all they had to do was take the fragments that Jesus gave to them and administer those fragments to the hungry crowd. And in the process of doing that very simple, very mundane, very ordinary thing, a miracle happened. You know, uh, I... I tell people, we, we, we look for miracles all the time. We want to see signs and all. You know what? The, the, the greatest miracle of all is God's salvation. Sharing the gospel and having someone give their heart to the Lord, it, to me, is, is the greatest miracle. Amen? And, 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 and we value some things above others, and, and we feel like, Man, if I could just do, if God could use me like he was used, like he uses so-and-so. Man, I would feel like I've been used so greatly from God. And in our minds, we diminish the thing that God has called us to. Let's not do that. If you're a mom homeschooling your kids, don't, don't, don't diminish what God is doing through that. Are you hearing me? If you're working for the city, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, 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 utilities uh, or whether it's a, a waste disposal or whatever, hey, if if that's what you're doing, then do it unto the Lord. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God can't use you mightily where you're at. He he used Paul mightily in prison. He used Joseph in the Old Testament mightily in the dungeon. All right? Uh, uh, Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, all these Bible stories that we've heard from kid, uh, from the time that we were kids. Right? He's in the lion's den. He's, he's there. He's, he's been judged. He's in the lion's den, but God shut the mouths of the lions. We want to see God do amazing things, but we don't always want to go to the hard places necessary for a lot of them to happen. 
two loaves or five loaves, two fish. I think about Philip's answer in uh, the book of Proverbs comes to mind. Three, I believe, verses five and six were uh, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight or he'll direct your path, depending on your translation. You know, I feel like the response of Philip and Andrew were both, quote unquote, leaning on their own understanding. And I think that in a nutshell is where we err when it comes to these opportunities to partner with God in doing a great work for the kingdom. I want to read verses 8, and t- 8 through 10 again before I say what I want to say next. And then I'll begin to wrap this up. We know what one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Uh, I'll keep reading. Jesus then took the loaves and then he had given thanks. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And we know that everyone was filled. Everyone was satisfied and they had plenty left over. Twelve baskets full. Scripture doesn't name the little fella whose meal ended up feeding that whole crowd. I don't know uh, if two fish and five loaves seems a little bit much for one person. Uh, So he might have been, he might have offered up Jesus, his, and somebody else in his family's food. But... Well, the scripture doesn't really go into detail about that, but uh, I don't believe that they just snatched and took his food, right? I believe there was some dialogue there, and I believe, I, I believe that he was approached, and they asked him for his food, and he had a choice. He could either Hold on to it with a death grip. I, look, I, I'm here with 5,000 plus people and I'm the only one with food. <laughs> I'm going to either be the only full belly here or I'm going to leave with some fatter pockets. Right? You know, you could ask, how much, how much for that food? How much you got? It costs about 200 denarii. But no, it, it, there's no indication that he, there was a, there's no indication there was a transaction that took place. He offered up that food, gave that to the Lord. He had to have been just as hungry as the rest. But when the Lord asked for the loaves and the fish, he gave it. Think about that. He didn't have any details either. 
He didn't know what Jesus' intent was. The Lord asked for it and he gave it. There is no limit to what God can do in your life when you surrender all that you have to him. He surrendered what he had. That was everything he had. Jesus asked for it and he gave it all. He trusted Jesus. I may not feel like there's much here, God, but all that I am, I give to you. I, I, I may not have much in the way of possessions, Lord, but all I do have, I surrender to you. And the little fellow is not, not talked about a lot in this story because we don't have a name. We have named characters in here that gets a lot of play. But the little fellow whose food fed a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children he ought, to, he ought to get a shout out every now and then, right? And so, and so here's his shout out today. Because I think there is, sometimes you really got to dig in there and see something that you can really, that's really could be relevant for you today. Those, 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 those timeless truths that are in there. That little unnamed fellow gave Jesus all that he had. And because of that, what he gave Jesus, look at what Jesus was able to flip that into. There is no limit what God can do if you give your all and all that you have to him. There ought to, there ought to be some amens on that. And we can get into questioning why, okay, Jesus already knew what he was doing, what he was going to do. We can get into all the whys and wherefores and all that. I don't have all the whys and wherefores, but I do know, I, I, I do know at the end of this passage, the effect that it had on everybody present. Jesus got that little fellow to give him all that he, to give him all that he had fed the multitude with food to spare. Miraculously, in verse 14, bottom lines it for us. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the capital P, prophet who is to come into the world. It, it, you know, when, when, when Jesus did miracles, all right, he was, he was confirming who he was. All right, he was, he was confirming his identity as the son of God, as the Messiah, as the one who was to come. Are you hearing me? And so through this, and, and, and this little fella had a role to play in that. And I don't think he was there by happenstance either. Uh, uh, I don't think Jesus was caught unawares about this impossible situation. And and he didn't really have to be told that there was a little fella there with a couple of fish and five loaves. He already knew what he was going to do. Remember? Everybody else just didn't. But what he had in his heart to do 
in, 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 in doing a miraculous work in feeding that crowd involved this unnamed little fellow giving him his all, giving him everything that he had. Who knows what your giving Jesus your all will lead to? Who knows what who knows what miraculous work of God will be effective in someone else's life? Or, or how many multitudes will be impacted with, by the kingdom through your obedience and your surrendering of yourself and, and, and what you, and what you feel are your paltry possessions to God? And this is not about, you know, uh, don't worry, there's not about to be a plate passed around. We're not, we're not going to be saying, hey, give of your possessions or whatever. I'm talking about give God all that is you. Giving himself, giving yourself fully to him. It, it, it may not be money you need to surrender to God. Maybe you're a faithful tither. Maybe you're a faithful giver. All right. Uh, maybe you need to get that passport. Right. Yeah. Maybe you need to get that passport. Maybe God wants you to go on, on some short-term mission uh, trips. Maybe he has a call for you in the mission field. Ooh, I don't want to hear that, Pastor. That would require me getting out of the boat, right? And, and so I kind of like my boat. Who knows what capacity and what assignment God might have for you? But, 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 but we're going to have to be willing to surrender it all to him and say, and say yes to him without, without requiring all the details and everything that we think we need. And like I said last week, if we got all the details ahead of time, it might freak us out. And then we won't be walking in faith. We will turn and run. I see time and time again in scripture, men and women who ended up doing great things for God started out thinking that there's no way that they were up to the task. And yet God called them anyway. And guess what? They may not have been up to the task in their own abilities, but in every situation, in God, in the Lord, they accomplished the task God set them out sent them on. Are you hearing me? So it might have been impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. Are you hearing me? All right. And so uh, I got a couple of verses that I want to finish up with. One and Luke one verses uh, 34 to 38. And it's uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Right. So remember the angel of the Lord comes to her and tells her she's going to be pregnant with child and it's going to be the holy one of God right and she's a virgin and she's like I don't know <laughs> I mean now that's a mind blower right and Mary said to the angel how will this be since I'm a virgin and the angel answered her the holy now you tell me how much sense this made the holy spirit will just come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of god so so you're going to get pregnant in a way that no woman has ever gotten pregnant before god's doing something here that that that's in the miraculous sphere this is not in the natural this this is a supernatural thing 
Just like with the feeding of the 5,000 plus, right? And to help her, he goes on and gives her a little more detail. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So I'm going to, if you're thinking this is impossible, you know what else was impossible? Your cousin Elizabeth, who was barren, being able to have a child. Guess what God has done? He has given her a child and she is six months pregnant. That same God can do what I'm telling you right now. Because nothing is impossible with God. And what did she say? I love it. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. That, 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 that's the posture we ought to be adopting, ladies and gentlemen. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You know what? There's a lot of words we can be paying attention to. You know, you can flick on your radio, flick on your TV and your podcast or whatever, and you can hear a lot of words from somebody telling you you ought to be doing something, feeling something, saying something, acting some kind of way. But the only word you need to be concerning yourself with is the word of God. It's what is God saying, right? And that, that, that's the word that needs to be unto me. What is God saying? Because that's who I need to please. That's who I need to be walking in faithful obedience to. And she said, be it unto me. I'm your servant, Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I'll, I'll finish with this final scripture and I'll bring it to a close. Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You, you, you just never know, y'all. Uh, we, we need to get out of our own heads. And, and, and we need to uh, do what we used to encourage our short-term mission, mission groups to do before we even showed up um, um, in, the, in the country that we were going to. We would tell them, before you even get there, y'all, you're going to a country that's different than what, you grow, what, what you've grown up in. You've, you've taken certain liberties, certain rights, certain luxuries for granted. You're not going to have those. So before we even get there, here's what we're going to do. We're going to lay our rights down. The, the, any right we feel to, to comfort, <laughs> you know, any right we feel to luxury, any right uh, to, to, to have certain types of provisions and have access to certain things. We don't want to have grumbling hearts that, that, that aren't soft and open to what God is saying and how he wants to direct us. So, so before we even get there, we're going to lay down our perceived rights to all that stuff. And we're just going to adopt hearts of servants and say, okay, Lord, whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation, whatever the issues, we're already yielded to you and, and we're already moldable and pliable, Lord. We're just going to say yes to you. 
and 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 and, and we're just going to trust that you're going to work it all out somehow for for our good and for the good of those we're co- we're going to minister to we're, we're, we're not there for vacation. We're not there to have fun. We're there in the name of the Lord to serve and bless the people that we're going there to minister to. Right? And so we need to adopt the attitude of servants. Are you hearing me? We need to do what young Mary did when the Lord came to her with this outlandish word. And despite the what had to be uh, some confusion in her heart, in her mind. Uh, you knew there had to be some some whispers that were going to be in the future, some some scandalous whispers. You know, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit came up on her. Yeah, right. You know, she didn't care anything about that. She just said, okay, be it unto me, Lord. I'm your servant. If you if you. If you want to do that work in my life and through me in that way, then, Lord, I say yes. And I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want to encourage you today. You know, who knows how God, what God has planned. God oftentimes want to just show himself, remind us that he will show himself strong on our behalf. Uh, he, he, there are times when he just wants to reveal himself, his true identity as the only begotten son of God, as the Lord and savior of the world. He, he, he will put you in situations where you have to just trust him and walk in obedience to him, not knowing exactly how God is moving. But as long as you are saying yes to him and you're surrendered everything to him, God's plan is going to unfold. And and just lay down this whole note. Everything is not for you. Uh, you know, everything is not for everything you go through is not for you to learn a lesson necessarily, or not for your benefit. You know, the the, the just abandon the why questions a lot of time. We don't we don't need to know the why. We just need to know the what. And and just trust that God's will is going to be effective. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, so Lord, I lift up your, your beautiful people, Lord. And Father God, I just pray that you would encourage us all and remind us all and, 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 and get us to the point to where we know that we know that we know that nothing is impossible with you. That regardless of what our circumstances are, no matter how hard they look, no matter how impossible they may, they, they may appear, that they're not really impossible when we factor in your supernatural power. That you are not limited by circumstances. You're not limited by our limitations. You're not limited by our understanding. You are aware of the situation and you already have a plan. So, Father God, I just pray that, that, that we are not all bound up with fear when we face those situations. That we're not so full of anxiety and worry that we cannot hear the still small voice of God. Who is speaking to us in that moment. Saying to us in our own situations. In, in a nutshell, he's saying to us. Give me your loaves and your fish. 
Father, may we do what Philippians says. Father, be not worried or anxious about anything, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make our requests made known to you so that your peace of God, your peace, God, that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds. That, that we lean into you instead of leaning into fear. Instead of embracing anxiety, we take that anxiety to you in prayer. And we're not, like I said at the beginning, at the beginning of this message, we're not doing it in desperation and unbelief, but we're taking it to you with thanksgiving. Which means we're taking it to you with expectation that you're hearing us and that you're going to intervene. And that when that time of prayer is done, we know that we've connected with God. We know that our God has heard us and that our God already has a plan. And so we can leave, even though the situation hasn't changed yet, we can leave with peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding where nothing's changed, but everything's changed. Because I've, in, the, in my time with the Lord, I've reminded, I've been reminded that he's never let me down. He's never failed. He's been faithful. He is faithful and true. He's, he, he's going to continue to work these things out for my good. It's what his word says. And I've been reminded and encouraged by his word. And therefore, my faith has been strengthened and I've been encouraged. Let's, let, let, let's do it God's way. And so, Father, I just, I pray that you would convict our hearts that way. Whenever we start venturing over into the realm of the flesh, whenever we start leaning on our own understanding, Holy Spirit, we invite you into our hearts to convict us strongly. To convict us strongly to, to, to the point that we will be made aware of, of the error of our way and that we'll repent in that moment and, and, and get ourselves into faith, get ourselves into leaning into God. Reminding ourselves that although this looks impossible, nothing is impossible with God. So that when you ask for my little fish and my little barley loaves, I will not talk myself out of giving them to you, surrendering them to you, under the false belief and false notion that it won't do any good anyway. Instead, our, instead, we will surrender our fish and our loaves to you. Trusting in your supernatural ability to do what we thought before was impossible. Father, I thank you. I give you glory, honor, and praise, Father God. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise